Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, the host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. I'm so happy that you're with us today, because guess what? In this episode, we're starting a new message series. It's entitled Revelation, God Rules. That's right. We're going to go through the entire book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. So today's episode, as I just mentioned, is Revelation, God Rules. It's from Revelation chapter 1. This is the message for Sunday, January 8th, 2023. I thought for many months about teaching through the book of the Revelation, and I feel that this is the time to begin that. Now, the book of the Revelation is the last book of the Bible, of the New Testament and the Bible, and it has 22 chapters. So if we're able to cover a chapter a week, we should easily be done by July 4th, 2027. <laughs> you know me. I probably won't be confined to a chapter a week. But uh, hopefully we'll be done toward uh, July of 2023. Now, here's why I feel led to do this series at this time. I think that the last days, as spoken of in the Bible, are upon us. If they're not upon us, they are rapidly approaching. And in big picture terms, the next events on God's calendar are these, the rapture of the church, the tribulation, and the return of Christ to rule this world. I mean, we can see right in front of our own eyes the ramping up to the actual fulfillment of the book of the Revelation in the future. The mark of the beast, for example, do you realize that the financial systems of the world right now, one by one, are going cashless? They are switching over to a digital financial system, and that financial system, metaphorically speaking, computer-wise speaking, has a kill switch built in. If you do not do what people think you should do, then your access to money, digital money, can be turned off. You can be shut out of the system. Now, if you don't know much about that, man, have you got a lot of homework to do. This month in New York City, and I'm told several other large metropolitan areas in the world, there is a 12-week trial to see how well this whole cashless digital financial system will go instead of cash. Think of Bitcoin, only the government is in control of it. Something like that. Only far more, um, uh, what is the word, far more manipulative than Bitcoin ever thought about being. This 12-week trial, so-called, is to see how well it goes. I think it's to help people become more and more comfortable with it. 
and to see what they may need to do to make it more adoptable by the entire world. I think that that type of system may well play into the whole idea of not being able to buy or sell without the mark of the beast, something like that. Maybe something even more refined than just a digital financial system. Neuralink, it is a company, is working on implantable brain-computer interfaces for people, for, for someone's brain. And the trials are slated for 2023. All you have to do is open your eyes and look around, and you can see that the world is on a runaway train to their coveted global government where you will own nothing and be happy. Now, I'm going to read that like they really mean it. You will own nothing and you will be happy. You get the idea. (laughs) We can see right now there are famines around the world, pestilences, I mean, biblical size locust swarms. There are diseases, obviously, rampaging, and I checked this out. I looked this up, and, and I was right. I just needed some scientific backup. Earthquakes indeed are increasing in rapidity that is closer together in time and in intensity on average. We also are obviously aware of wars and rumors of wars. I mean, how many days in the last 30 years have you gone to sleep and woke up and hoped that nuclear war hasn't broken out overnight. I know people talk like they they are worried about that, but with what's been going on, Russia, Ukraine, and all of that, that is a very real threat. Now, I don't think the whole world is going to be blown up in nuclear war. I think everything in the Bible is going to play out, but that may well be a part of that. And Neither side is joking. And this one personally bothers me. It may not bother you, but it really bothers me. We are seeing formally sound churches, that is, they preach the truth as it is in Jesus. They preach the gospel. They taught the word of God. We are seeing formally sound churches and entire denominations completely losing their minds, going woke. So there you are. We're going to do the book of the Revelation. And the overall title is God Rules. Now, I know that a lot of you out there are note takers. So here's the outline for you note takers so you can be copacetic. The outline is very simple. It's actually given in the book of the Revelation. We're going to look at what was, what is, and what will be. There you go. And now you're happy. Here are some contrasts, and these are just a few, three that I can think of right away. Contrasts that you will see played out in the book of the Revelation. In the book of the Revelation, obviously, we have heavenly citizens, Those who die and they go to live in heaven and they worship God. They worship God the Father, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. 
So there's heavenly citizens, but it's contrasted with earth dwellers. That literally is the the meaning of the phrase in Greek. The earth dwellers are the people on the earth who worship the Antichrist. They hate God, and they are all over loving them some tribulation period and global government and the beast and all of that. I mean, they're all over that. They just love it. They can't get enough of it. So there's earth dwellers compared to citizens of heaven. Then, you you know this one, of course, there's Jesus Christ in the book of the Revelation, and there's the Antichrist. Antichrist means not that he is against Christ, which, which of course he is, but it really means that he is a substitute Christ. So you have the true Jesus Christ and this Antichrist, which is a false Christ, the ultimate false Christ. And the world will worship him. The earth dwellers will love him and serve him gladly, willingly, voluntarily. You have in the book of the Revelation, here's another one that you might not realize. You know about the mark of the beast, but did you know that God also marks a certain group of people on their foreheads with his seal? (laughs) So right after in Revelation 13, the beast does that, like this grand idea he's got. God says, hey, that's nothing. I can mark my people and they'll be protected. Isn't that great? This goes all the way through the book of the Revelation, and that's just three that I could remember right away. Now, here's some things you've just got to accept before we push off from shore and begin our voyage through the book of the Revelation. We must accept the fact that before we can deeply understand the book of the Revelation, we must understand the Old Testament first especially the prophecies of the prophet Daniel regarding the 70th week, which has not been fulfilled anywhere in history. It is a prophetic week of years. In other words, every day in that week stands for a year. So it is a seven-year period of time. 69 of Daniel's prophetic weeks we can attach to history Clear as can be, it's obvious. But this 70th week has never been fulfilled. In the Bible, it is known also as the time of Jacob's trouble. Who does Jacob represent? The Jewish people. So it is a time, a period of time of seven years in which God deals specifically with his promises to the nation of Israel. And he deals with the world. We must accept the fact of predictive prophecy. Now, I know some of you are active in churches that never deal with this. Or if they do, they dismiss it like, oh, yeah, that's all been fulfilled. That's not true. And you're being lied to if you're being told that. The Bible is filled with predictive prophecy, much of which is yet to be fulfilled What has been fulfilled has been fulfilled to the letter. About 33% of the Bible is predictive prophecy. That's a fact. Now, if you don't believe in that, go all the way through Revelation with me and let's see you feel the same way at the end. We must accept the fact that Revelation is futuristic. 
it does talk about some things that have been fulfilled. It obviously applies to now in many places, but much of it is yet to be fulfilled in the future. And you've just got to wrap your hearts and minds around that fact. Now, churches and preachers who say otherwise, they either are completely ignorant of the Bible or they are knowingly not telling the truth because it, they are afraid it won't fill the views, that it won't put money in their offering plates. We must accept the fact that God will fulfill his promises to Israel. We must understand that the church is the church, both Jew and Gentile and one new man, but that Israel is Israel, and the two are not the same. So churches and preachers who, who believe and teach what is called replacement theology, that is the church replaces Israel, that simply is completely not what the Bible teaches. And you'll see that if you go through Revelation with us. We must accept the fact that a literal hermeneutic Herman who? I'm not talking about that kid in your third grade class, all right? I'm talking about a, uh, a, a theological word, hermeneutic. We must accept the fact that a literal hermeneutic is the correct interpretive approach to the Bible. Say, so, well, what about symbols, Pastor Ed? It's easy. Even in the hermeneutic of a, a literal interpretation of the Bible, we can literally see when something is symbolic, and we see that. But we can't take everything in the Bible and turn it into a symbol or an allegory or some other crazy thing people do with the Bible. When it says there's going to be an Antichrist, there's going to be a real person who is an Antichrist, the Antichrist. When it talks about the mark of the beast, one day there will be a system set up. You're either in or you're out. If you're out, you cannot buy or sell without the mark of the beast. This is literal. The huge error of Augustinian theology, and that's what most churches, most denominations, or at least a huge percentage of them operate under that, I don't even know if they know that, but they're trapped within that, sees the Bible, uh, a revelation rather, the, the book of Revelation, sees it as something that talks about, oh, the entire church age, and you know, it's all symbolic and this and that. That, that is just so, so wrong. The huge error of the theology of St. Augustine, he tried to blend the truth of the Bible uh, make it mesh seamlessly with Greek philosophy. I think it was Plato that had his attention, the philosophy of Plato, how the, how the two blend. And within Augustinian theology, Israel is replaced with the church. In other words, the church becomes Israel. This is replacement theology. This is a serious error. Because even in the New Testament, in the book of 1 Corinthians, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul points out 
that there's Jews, there's Gentiles. So the two groups of people in the world, you're either Jewish or if you're not, you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. There isn't anything else except there's the church. So Jews, Gentiles, and the church of God. The church of God is made up of all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, whether or not they be Jewish or Gentile. Doesn't matter. There's Jewish, there's Gentile, and there's the church of God, one new man created by the Lord. Now, something else. There are views of the book of the Revelation in terms of how to interpret it. And I don't care if you remember these terms or not, but I I just want you to get the idea. There's the preterist view. That is that everything in the book of the Revelation has already been fulfilled, it's done, it's over already. That's not true. But many churches operate that way. There's the historical view. Basically, you would describe that as saying that, well, the the book of the Revelation is is like, um, it kind of depicts in these, these wild images and symbols what the church goes through here on earth. And it's happening, it happened in the past, it's happening now, and will happen in the future, whatever. They don't attach any great significance to the book of the Revelation concerning the future. Then there's the allegorical view. This is where everything in the book of the Revelation, um, even if it's a literal statement, is just turned into some type of vague symbolism, like a, like an allegory, a story, a uh, fable or something, just to teach us truths about how to make it through this life and blah, blah, blah. And it, it doesn't handle the book of the Revelation as something we need to know about the future. And then there's the futurist view, that the the vast bulk of the book of the Revelation has yet to be fulfilled. And if you approach the Bible with a literal interpretive method, a literal hermeneutic, the theology of interpretation, if you approach the Bible and let it say what it says, without imposing an Augustinian theology on it, you'll be amazed what God will tell you in the book of the Revelation. Now, if you don't, you're on your own. (laughs) You have no sail to sail with, no compass, no rudder. You can't see the beach. You have no idea where you are in the theological ocean. Good luck. You'll need it. We must accept the fact that failing to understand Revelation, I hear that excuse a lot, and well, I just don't read it or preach through it, and this is preachers. I don't read it or preach through it because it's just so hard to understand. And Christians say this a lot, but we must accept the fact that failing to understand the Revelation, I mean, we might not know all the details. I'm not saying that in going through this, I won't be able to do all of that. But I'm saying that I get the big picture. It is understandable at a a 30,000 foot flyover what God's trying to tell us. We must accept the fact that failing to understand Revelation is due to disobedience, not poor time management. Well, I just don't have time to read the Bible. 
Or if I do, I definitely don't have time to read that book, you know, the Revelation. Come on, just own up to it. You're being disobedient as a Christian by not getting into the Word and getting the Word into you every day. That is a sin, period. Because you spend more time watching television than you care to admit or doing other things that you care to admit that could be devoted to reading the Word of God. We must accept the fact that reading, hearing, and obeying revelation is blessed by God. That's what he blesses, people who read it, who hear it, and who follow what it says. They are promised in the book itself that they will be blessed. And I'm so glad that the blessing is not dependent on fully understanding every single part of it, because I surely do not. And and you probably feel the same way. Let me tell you something. I've now listened to the book of the Revelation almost daily for the last four months, maybe even five months. I lost track. Literally, I've done that. There's been, I don't know, one, two, or three days where maybe I didn't get into it like that. And though I've preached through it in the past and taught through it a few times over the decades, I think that God has now opened it up to me afresh and deeply. But even though we will cover every verse, I can tell you that I, for one, will not understand every single thing in it, and probably you won't either. And we're all okay with that because we're trying to understand. We must accept the fact that God rules time and eternity, including the tribulation, the seven-year reign of the Antichrist. You see, many people look at the book of the Revelation and they think it's about the Antichrist. Well, he's in it, but only so the Lord Jesus Christ can crush him at the end. The book is about Jesus Christ. That's a fact. Now, you might be asking a question. I asked this myself, and I didn't know the answer for sure, so I researched it. Exactly when did the Apostle John, this is the same one as Peter, James, and John, the disciple, exactly when was he on Patmos? Because we know that he was an epic pastor at the church in Ephesus, and apparently seems to have pastored churches as well in Western Turkey or Asia Minor. So when did he have time to be on the Isle of Patmos? Well, let me just read these quotes to you. This is from Church History, Volume 3, 18 and 20, from the Nicene and Post-Nicene Fathers series, Volume 1, pages 148 and 149, if you want to look it up. I'm quoting this. The ancient Christian historian Eusebius says John was imprisoned at Patmos under the reign of the Roman emperor Domitian. 
So we know that was in the 90s something. And then let me read this second quote. According to Victorinus, John, though aged, was forced to labor in the mines located at Patmos. Early sources also indicated that about A.D. 96, at Domitian's death, John was allowed to return to Ephesus when the emperor Nerva was in power. And that's from John Walford, uh, probably in his exposition of the book of the Revelation, which would be excellent. Now, I did more research. <laughs> there on this island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea, uh, off the coast of uh, Greece, I think it is, somewhere out there in the Mediterranean, there is still a grotto chapel on the Isle of Patmos where it is said that John lived and saw the vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, hang on for what I'm about to say. A picture of it and the phone number to that grotto are online. I'm not making that up. <laughs> to quote Captain John Miller in Saving Private Ryan, it's in the Army Field Manual. You can look it up. Go online and you'll see a photograph of this grotto and this chapel, and you can actually call the international phone number there, and the tourism there is light, so you'll have plenty of room to tour this site. It's a real place, and John apparently, uh, he was either there as a missionary or apparently he was there as a prisoner, but on the Isle of Patmos, there he was. That's where the Lord Jesus Christ gave him this vision. So let's get to it. Revelation 1, verses 1 through 17. This will be the entire first chapter of the book of the Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. We see as we look at this that this, what is predicted here, it says in verse one, which must shortly come to pass and I'm going to quote Dr. Walvert again. Shortly is the ancient Greek phrase entaki, which means quickly or suddenly coming to pass, indicating the rapidity of execution after the beginning takes place. The idea is not that the event may occur soon, but that when it does, it will be sudden. And that's from John Walvert. So, we are to know from verse 1 that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God, this is God the Father, gave unto him to show unto his servants. He wants us to know, people. 
He doesn't want us in the dark to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. We get the English word tachometer from the same Greek word. A tachometer on my beautiful, spacious 2017 Kia Sorento. Yes, I'm driving an older car. It has a tachometer, and it tells me the revolutions per minute, the RPMs of the engine, and it's fast. (laughs) So when all of this is set in motion, it's going to come quickly. It's going to happen suddenly, and the events will be rapid fire. People will not even believe how far they are into it once they realize they're into it. So God wants us to understand these things from the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ wants to understand these things, wants us to understand them. He is God, of course, God the Son. So in verse 3, that's where we see that word makarios, the word blessed, makarios in Greek. This is not the idea of being happy. My circumstances can be awful but I can be blessed inside, amen? Unrelated to my outward circumstances. Maybe my family hates me. I don't think they do, but maybe you've heard something. But whether my family loves me or hates me is going great at work or not, war is broken out all around me or not, doesn't matter. I can be in a state of blessedness from God when I, I hear this read so That's what this means, one person reading it, like I'm reading it to you now. There's a blessing in that for me and you because you're hearing the words of this prophecy and there's a blessing in it for all of us when we we observe or guard or strictly keep the truth that is revealed to us in this letter for the time is at hand. That word time means season. It's not a chronos, it's a kairos. It is a season. That's why I say, I think the last days are upon us. If they're not, they're coming. I can see them from here. This season is at hand, I believe. Now, let's go further. Verse four of chapter one of the book of Revelation. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. Now, this is Asia Minor, Western Turkey, right? John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. I'm gonna tell you about that in just a minute, but let's go to verse five. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's how you got saved today, friend, if you're a Christian. He washed you from your sins in his own blood. What he did on the cross, amen. So we see that this letter went initially to the seven churches in Asia, and we'll see them as we go into chapter two next week. And we see that um, he says, grace be unto you and peace from him, which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. 
Let me tell you about that because I had a question about that and I believe that it comes from Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. This is talking ultimately about the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2 in Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2. And the Spirit of the Lord... There's seven things said about the Holy Spirit here, who is God, by the way. Let's see them. Count them on your hand. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So it's not saying that there are seven Holy Spirits. Let's put it in our terms, English-wise, and this is the best I can do. There are seven aspects of the Holy Spirit. That's the best I can do in that. You research it more. (laughs) Verse 5, and from Jesus Christ. So by the way, we've just seen the Trinity. I didn't see the word Trinity, Pastor Ed, and you won't. We just saw God the Father. We saw God the Spirit, and now... And from Jesus Christ, that's God the Son, the three persons of the triune Godhead. Right there, biggest day, right in front of your eyes. And from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness, watch this, and the first begotten of the dead. He is absolutely unique right now in world history. No one has ever defeated death except the Lord Jesus Christ. But I like it, the fact that it says he's the first begotten of the dead because when he resurrects those who believe in him, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of people following the same path he followed or you know, who, are, who are resurrected. And he's the first, but there are many more that he resurrects to come. You see what we're saying? And the prince of the kings of the earth. The word prince is archon. This means he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. They may think they're all that in a bag of chips. They're not. He rules them, period. Unto him that loved us. That's that agape, God kind of love, sacrificial love and washed us from our sins in his own blood. But I noticed, I mentioned earlier, I don't want to leave this out. He's the archon, the ruler of the kings of the G, like we think of geo, you know, the earth, geography, the Greek word G. But it's the idea he's the archon, the ruler of the kings of the dirt, the earth. (laughs) That's why the, the name George, George, means farmer. He is one who tills the earth. Did you know that? Well, he is the ruler of these kings because they just, they think they're all that in a bag of chips in their own head. They just rule a globe of dirt, of earth. He's the true ruler of the universe and beyond. Verse six, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father to him be glory and dominion 
forever and ever. Amen. Now, let's go to verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so. Amen. Why did I scream that verse? Because that's how it's written in Greek. Verse 7. I do, I-D-O-U, I do. It's in the aorist middle imperative. That's the way the word is set up. Can't explain that to you. And it means it's a command to look. Look, he cometh with clouds. And this this looks right here in verse 7 to the ultimate <laughs> the ultimate event of the book of the Revelation when the Lord literally returns with the church and his holy angels to take over a Christ-rejecting world. And John is totally caught up in that, and we should be too. Verse 8, I, and this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking right here, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. That word Almighty is Pantocrator, Pantocrator. You could paraphrase it like this, the one who has his hand on everything. Jesus is in absolute rulership absolute control over every single thing that is, including a rebellious planet led by the Antichrist. God rules. Know that in your heart and mind. Verse 9, I, John, who also am your brother and companion, he's a he's like a partner, a sharer, in tribulation. This is where thlipsis, which means pressure, like great, great oppression and pressure. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So we believe that the Roman Empire sent him there as a punishment he was just winning too many people to Jesus and witnessing to the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ as God. So they said, what are you going to do with somebody like that? So I don't know why they didn't kill him. I know one answer. He still had more work to do. That is recording the book of the Revelation. So God gave him an all-expenses-paid trip to a vacation island. Actually, it was a prison island called Patmos. And if you were sent there, generally you were sent there to die. But if they could get labor out of you while you split granite or marble or whatever they had there, stoneworks, you know, to be used in uh, the building of Rome, I'm sure, then they would use you until you drop. But the Lord Jesus Christ sent him there and gave him the book of the Revelation. Verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I think this means not that he was just having an exceptional day in, in worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think this means something very unique. 
because he was about to receive this special revelation. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice. In Greek, it's literally megaphone, <laughs> a large sound. And heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna and unto Pergamos and unto Thyatira and unto Sardis and unto Philadelphia and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. This refers to the Messiah now, to Jesus. Clothed with a garment down to the foot and gird about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice is a sound of many waters. Think of a massive waterfall. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. The word for sword here is like a large broadsword used in combat in ancient times. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels. That word means messenger. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. So this could be the pastors of those seven churches, or if God wants to assign an angel to each church, Maybe that's what it means. We're really not sure. Most likely is talking about the pastors. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now I want to point out something to you here. A couple of things. Physically speaking, the last time the Apostle John, the writer of the book of the Revelation, had seen the Lord Jesus Christ, 
was when the Lord Jesus Christ ascended after his crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection, ascended from the Mount of Olives with angels into the clouds, or ascended into the clouds, and then the angels were standing there and predicting that he would return. I'm sure you remember that from the book of Acts. If you don't, go read the book of Acts. John was standing there then because the angels, I believe they said, why are you stand gazing up into heaven? So they were not on their faces. That's the last time the apostles saw the Lord Jesus Christ physically in person until this. Notice John can't stand it. It almost kills him. This is the Lord Jesus Christ glorified, which if he didn't help us, we would be incinerated. And John falls at his feet as dead. And Jesus reminds him that he's the first and the last. He holds the keys of hell and of death. He, he lives even though he was dead and he's alive forevermore, never to die again. And he has a message for his people, especially the seven churches. And we're going to go into that next week as we go to Revelation chapter 2. Right now, I want to speak to different groups of people. Some of you are listening right now, and you are Christians, and you love the Lord, and you're serving him and his power to the best of his ability, you know, through you, the best of your ability with his power. Let's put it that way. Keep on keeping on. It won't be long. I speak to other people who claim to be Christians, and maybe you are. I don't know. But you know you are not where you need to be spiritually. This is, this is where you need to get truly woke right here. You need to wake up to what's coming on this world and the short time we have. You need to get busy with the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you listening are not sure you even belong to Jesus Christ, whether or not you go to church. I'm going to give you a phone number you can call if you need to sort that out. Or if you need prayer or help in any way, you can call this phone number. It is 855-255-7729. So it's 855-255, the word pray, P-R-A-Y. That's 7729. You'll be calling a Christian ministry, which can answer your questions and help you come to Christ, or grow in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe answer some of your spiritual questions. I hope you will call that number. I hope that all of you will like this episode, follow the podcast, so that you're alerted every time, every week, when I post the next episode, and that you will share it on social media far and wide. Maybe send it by email, but you can send a link right from where you're listening to anyone you want or post it on social media. Thank you for listening today. This is free and it always will be. If the Lord doesn't come first, 
I'll be back next week with episode two from Revelation. God rules.